for the week of February 14th, 2021. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. We are continuing our Clone Wars and Rebels rewatch by discussing Season 1, Episode 15 of The Clone Wars and Season 1, Episode 14 of Rebels, starting with The Clone Wars Trespass. And in it, Anakin and Obi-Wan are sent to an uninhabited snow planet, which is claimed by the Pantoran, and discover that both the Republic and Separatist bases on the planet have been attacked. John, what did you think of this episode? I liked it. I liked that it was totally self-contained. Like this isn't the beginning of an arc. This is just a, a one-off story about uh, sovereignty and manifest destiny and what it means to uh, sort of dehumanize the indigenous population in the interest of your own kind of greedy ambition. So there's some some fun themes here. Really enjoyed it as a one-off. But the, the big thing that stuck out is that they said that the indigenous uh, race is probably not capable of going off world, but I know I saw one of those in a cantina somewhere. So yeah. I don't know what I'm missing. I'm sure there's a story that explains why that one particular guy made it to a, a bar somewhere. But um, other than that little line of dialogue mm. kind of throwing me a curve, I thought this was a lot of fun. This was good. And whenever you think of the clone wars, you're obviously thinking of these kind of war themes that they don't shy away from. And they kind mm-hmm. of have each episode is really a different exploration of another you know, wartime theme. And this one is like you said, kind of this manifest destiny, you know, we're planting our flag. This is our right to claim this, this moon or this planet. And of course this is so connected to this Jedi fortune cookie of the (laughs) arrogance diminishes wisdom, which of course is kind of the, the Pantoran leader who is just very reluctant to accept anything other than this is our claim, our right. And whoever has attacked this has, you know, violated these these uh, interplanet war treason crimes. Yeah, he's he considers himself a patriot. So in in his mind, he can't see past the idea of what's best for my people is what's best. He he confuses virtue with advantage. So if it's good for his people, then it must be a good thing. And when you when you do those mental gymnastics to sidestep morality it causes problems and it's caused problems for every, uh, you know, conquering nation in history. And, uh, it is fun to see it play out in 22 minutes here, but yeah, he's the perfect stand in for any sort of like arrogant nationalist, like someone that says, if it's good for my nation, then that is the extent of righteousness. And I will not look at any factors outside of that box. And that's, you know, that's a a worldview that is always going to get you into trouble. And of course, this is a this is not a theme that is entirely different from the the early uh, colonial days of the new right. world, if you will, where they're just kind of you know going to and fro. And these the, the natives on this planet are very much you know defending themselves. They're like, hey, mm-hmm. you guys are invading in our space. We don't want any of your business involved. We want you out of here. Um, and they're they're a little too powerful they're more powerful than than what they appear and this is kind of giving that uh, feeding into the arrogance of this pantoran leader to the point where he is upset that Anakin and Obi-Wan 
would even try to negotiate with them. And he, you know, he kind of uses the, the cliche of they can't be negotiated with. And right. you know, we, we have to be more powerful than them. We have to show them, you know, kind of this, this trial by combat type of approach here. And I also love that Anakin allows the, the little boy on Tatooine to come out a bit where, you know, of course he has encountered um, other species on his planet and other races on his planet where, he just knows, okay, you know what? We're trying to communicate with these natives. I'm just going to, I'm going to use sketches and see if we can sure. get anywhere with that. And so it was kind of just a fun thing that, that Anakin um, proves a little more usefulness than just his, his overall power. Yeah. It is interesting that the, the leader has to attempt to strip the natives of their, we'll say humanity for lack of a better term, or just their, I don't know, their, their dignity as a like sentient creature. And it's funny that the same terminology, you know, they're, they're savages, they you know, they're things that you have to do to justify not giving these people the same rights that you would want to be afforded. You see that coming out in his dialogue and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an obvious parallel, but when I think about the, the kids that would be watching this, you know, they may not be paying attention in history class, but they can mm-hmm. get some pretty potent ideas uh, through a show like this. And, and I do love that again, just a, a credit to Lucasfilm for wanting to make children's fair. That's a cut above that. It's not pandering. It's not dumb. It's not just let's give them the the loudest, most frenetic action week over week to keep them coming back. Like, like little action junkies. Let's try and craft stories that are, are going to illuminate human nature and illuminate kind of the worst of us and the best of us, because that's what you get in this episode. You get the worst of us, the people that are are willing to, you know, dehumanize in, in the name of, of conquering. And then you get other people that cooler heads will prevail and will, uh, you know, will, will try and figure out a way to, you know, not necessarily oppose this leader, but work within the authority that we have to find a diplomatic solution. You see that, you know, with Obi-Wan, you see that with the Senator, uh, the boots on the ground Senator who's with them as well, that they're, they're trying very hard to, find a path through this that's going to result in the least amount of bloodshed and there's there's something very you know altruistic and uh, enlightened about that when you're dealing with obstinate you know bullheaded people that are really quick to resort to violence and uh yeah so just really really fun dynamics and and conflict uh going on here so yeah i there there's a lot of like most episodes of the clone wars at a certain point it does devolve into just some some fun action but the ideas that they present and, and the insights that that can give young people into human nature and maybe where their own blind spots might be, I, I think is, I don't know. I think it's more important than maybe we, we give a show like this credit. And as an educator, this is, I nerd out over stuff like this. And I'm so glad that you said all of that because um, as someone who, who teaches a course to teachers and training about Ooh. how to engage and how to kind of take this kind of cultural, uh, take a cultural responsive method to teaching. Um, sure. It's very much like this, where it's like, okay, figure out a way that you can say something uh, in a way that they're going to understand. And so, you know, there are so many uh, different learning styles and so many uh, <laughs> students that learn by, you know, things like music or things like yep. television. And so having something like this, where when you're talking about, you know, the various mentalities of the different type of imperialistic approaches of different countries, you know, what does this say about them? What, you know, what are the two sides of the argument here? And then what, what, what is overall message and how does that relate to the, you know, the actual content? And it's so 
great because I think that this is one of the the ways that um, Lucasfilm really nailed it. I mean, they did mm-hmm. such a good job with just showing this character who is in the Republic. I mean, this Pantoran right. leader is not a separatist. He is a Republic leader. And this provides an opportunity where you see, okay, I know that they have this Republic flag and they're supposed to be the good guys, but there, there are some very uh, morally questioning approaches here. Sure. Yeah. No, just because they're, they're part of a larger political body doesn't mean that there isn't squabbling and hawkish people and, and factionalization. Like the, the the interesting thing about the prequels and the thing that turned a lot of people off is how messy a lot of it is like lucas didn't try to well he did simplify the politics in one respect like he does you do have to make certain themes and ideas clear but he let the universe be messy mm-hmm. and he let the senate not be pure as the driven snow and he let the jedi be flawed and he mm-hmm. you know he let so much of it have a a, a the, the ring of truth like a, uh there's something authentic about the idea of uh people's better nature doesn't always surface and uh we we get that in this show and that's that's a a very you know sober and responsible way to approach children's storytelling and it's interesting i don't always read the notes that you make for the show because i kind of want our conversation to be spontaneous and i want my thoughts to be genuine and not rehearsed or anything but going back through here i see your little note about you know um providing some sort of education to youth um so it's just interesting that i think we we both kind of landed on the the exact same idea of where the true value in some of these episodes lies. And it is really an illuminating the the truth about kind of how politics unfolds in the real world and uh, just, yeah, how, how messy our world can be. And there's also some, you know, tidbits of the nerdy education here, right? I mean, we heard for three movies straight that the Jedi were these keepers of peace, but we don't really see them keeping the peace very much. They're kind of the police force rather than, you know, just uh, just a full on peacekeeper. And Mm -hmm. um, this episode is very centric on the Jedi are acting as these peacekeepers. They are trying to maintain the peace between the Republic and this, you know, aboriginal um, species that's on this planet. And it's uh, it's nice to see because even in, you know, episodes one, two and three, we hear all of this stuff like peacekeepers. And of course, this mm-hmm. is the Qui-Gon Jinn's major criticism of what the Jedi Council is doing. And so it's just nice to see that they were still doing peacekeeping activities right. during this time of war. It wasn't just that they took the full on approach. OK, we'll be we'll be warriors now. Yeah, we'll just we'll take a side and we'll, we'll get down in the fray. At least Obi-Wan, you know, mm-hmm. still has some notion of being a diplomat in these situations. It is interesting. Another fun aspect of this episode is that the, the hawkish leader, he attempts to manipulate the neutral stand of the Jedi Mm -hmm. into getting actual like Republic manpower on his side. Like he's trying to convince them that their duty and being there is to support him because he's part of the Senate rather than recognizing that they're basically there just to make sure that nobody shoots him so that everyone can talk. And so you get to a point where they now have to walk this line of, okay, we got to keep this guy safe, but we also can't be the aggressors in this situation. Like how do you, when, when your job is to protect the aggressor, how do you not also become the aggressor? And that's just another fun little quandary that this presents, which you just don't get themes like that in kids fair. So again, I'll, I'll applaud Lucasfilm when they really craft a, a scenario that draws out a lot of truth and a, a lot of, just more, you know, grown up notions. And of course, we see the fulfillment of this Jedi fortune cookie where the Pantoran leader has this Custer like ending. He mm, takes his yes. last stand. He's overwhelmed. And the Jedi are kind of just like, you know, 
we can't really grieve over this guy too much. We have to hope that now this new leader in Rio is is uh, capable enough to maintain the peace between these two tribes. And of, and of course, there is a peace negotiation that is made between uh, between the two neighbors. Yeah. So it's nice that we we get a nice conclusion where the guy that effectively is the villain of the piece, he doesn't make it, but they at least go out in the same way that anyone that I think wants to take a measured approach to Custer would, would view him as a Patriot. Mm -hmm. Like it just because you're foolhardy and you, you get yourself into a terrible situation because of your obstinance and your closed mindedness. It doesn't mean that somewhere deep down, you weren't trying to do the best for your country or people like there's, there's something seemingly good motivating you. It just somehow got, perverted along the way so they don't turn him into an outright villain they just turn him into an ideologue that just didn't have the the insight to really properly govern and so it's nice that cooler heads prevailed and now you have this senator who's able to uh calm the situation down and you know probably go on to a, a pretty good political career now that there's this power vacuum I, I have a feeling that you know she could be in the running to to take over where this other guy uh, left off. So yeah, they, they leave it on a, a high note and Obi-Wan's ominous message of, you know, you've achieved peace, but you know, try to make it last. Uh, truer words have never been spoken. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's just a lot jammed into 20 minutes here that I thought was pretty thought provoking. And we see that of course the peace in the galaxy does not last. The Jedi do fall and we have a, um, a new light of hope in the rebellion. So shall we dive into rebels? Absolutely. Rebel Season 1, Episode 14, Rebel Resolve. With Kanan still captive, the crew of the Ghost attempt to access the Imperial prison logs from all facilities in order to rescue their Jedi friend. John, what did you think of this episode of Rebels? I really enjoyed it. Now, we're mid-arc here, like barreling towards our finale, so I don't really see it as a standalone episode. This is just us picking up the story, because Rebels is a very serialized show, so uh, I I like where we're at in the story right now. I like that it's feeling really real. I like that there's a lot of Star Destroyers on screen and there's just a lot of stuff that feels very Star Warsy. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun with this show and this episode was no different. Yeah, and we get kind of just immediately the crew, they're, they're right in the thick of things. Things are sloppy. Their plan isn't necessarily working uh, at first. And then we get, you know, Moff Tarkin, who was brought into Rebels season one last episode, who's kind of doing this, uh, this interrogating of mm -hmm. Kanan. And it's just, it's so... Uh, empire right like this this whole thing where <laughs> right. he's setting the foundation of oh okay you won't talk i'm trying to have this conversation with you you don't want to have a conversation with me okay i'll figure out a way to to get you to talk a little bit more right. and it's just you know once again speaking to uh this this grand moth that we uh love to hate yeah no he he might as well have said we have ways of making you talk yeah. like it, it's it's that uh you know just that pulpy um and it, it didn't just remind me of interrogation, though there's a, an interrogation droid involved. It didn't just remind me of what we saw in A New Hope um, or uh, in Empire. It, it actually, in a way, and I don't think this was necessarily intentional, though it, it could have been because it, it would, would have been overlapping with the production of Force Awakens. But the way Kylo Ren interrogates using the, you know, the Sith brain jiggle, mm -hmm. you know, like where he, 
he, he just tries to rattle your your brain a little bit with the force um the inquisitor tries that on kanan too and it's just it seems like they're pulling out all the stops and mm-hmm. fortunately kanan just doesn't have the information they need but um fun and a little intense like you never want to see your heroes getting that beat up but uh they don't they don't really hold back the, this is this is as tortury as as i think we get in star wars yeah, and then, of course, you have this conflict with the crew of the Ghost, and Ezra is set. He can't just view Kanan as this right. this soldier uh, casualty, as Hera is trying to kind of... She's, in a way, trying to brush it off her shoulders a little bit, where she's just like, right. yeah, he, he was a soldier. We know what we were getting into. And she doesn't want to say that, but she's kind of being guided by this hooded figure who is calling themselves Fulcrum and telling them, hey, go into hiding... I, I don't think anyone was guessing that Fulcrum was anywhere else because I know they tried hiding her voice a little bit in this <laughs> little hologram, but this is very clearly uh, Ahsoka who is, you know, kind of just in the shadows of the rebellion, which is so fitting for this character. And of course, if you haven't read the Ahsoka novel, I highly encourage you to do that because we really get to see her um, take on this role as as the the rebel cell Fulcrum. And it's so so cool to see and and i can't uh, i can't express enough how rebels um especially rebels because that's really where i fell in love with the sokatano was uh mm-hmm. where my curiosity really started it speaks volumes to just how creative feloni was in the approach to ahsoka and kind of this you know we understand the devastation of obi-wan i mean he had to chop off the arms and legs of anakin in that battle on Mustafar, but we never saw the um, the effect that an apprentice of Anakin would have until we got to meet Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, now we're jumping the gun a little bit because the official reveal isn't until I think the next episode. But um, you know, obviously this this show's been around, <laughs> been done for a few years now, so I don't think we're really spoiling too much here. But yeah, the 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 really nice thing, the the thing that kind of warms my heart is that they're setting a precedent that characters can flow in and out of series and this has become kind of a feloni trademark now because we're watching the mandalorian and we're seeing him do that to an even bigger degree like there was always the opportunity to bring in classic star wars characters from the movies into the tv shows but with rebels we've learned that star wars tv shows never really end you know, no, no Star Wars show has ever really gone. Yeah. Um, they just, they just change. They just become one with the force and then they manifest themselves somewhere else. So you had Clone Wars and you had, you know, characters and storylines that were close to our heart. And somewhere down the road, if it's meaningful and the audience wants it, they're going to find a way to revisit it and tell us the next chapter. So it's kind of nice that Rebels, when it started, you could have wrote it off as really lighthearted sort of like nostalgia fair. Like we're just going to make it look like star Wars and have some more plucky guys in a millennium Falcon wannabe. And that'll be just enough for the, the kiddies. Like it could have been that simple and shallow a show, but no, it, it's just, it's, it's the second coming of Ahsoka. And now we've had the third coming of Ahsoka and then we're going to get a series of Ahsoka. And it's just nice to know characters are never gone in star Wars anymore. And this is kind of planting that flag. Well, and if the, these two shows haven't done something that is the most effective of television, it's like there's so much more to explore from these characters. I mean, even starting with Ezra, there's so much to explore with Ezra right, that yeah. he, you know, we may need a an extra series that just explores him uh, mm-hmm. because and this is this is the episode where I think Ezra fully comes into his own and realizes, 
you know what? I get it. There is this rebellion that we need to right. protect. But at the end of the day, Kane and his family, and I'm going to uh, go against your orders, Era, and I'm going to figure out a way to save him. And this is where he, on, you know, basically with the help of Zeb and Sabine, and of course, Chopper, who is uh, the most <laughs> useful little droid of the series, um, they figure out that. That the Empire is being cautious of what had just gone down on Lothal, so they're using these uh, these you know carrier droids, if you will, to to sure. send these message, which is you know of course yet another wartime theme that we get in um, in Star Wars, and we get uh, the most useful chopper being a disguised <laughs> droid, better than of course BB-8 in um, the Last <laughs> Jedi, sure. but uh, gets the job done. Yeah, I I love this, and it's it's not that the empire is being cautious. It's that the moth blew yeah. up the communication tower, right? So they, they have to rebuild. So they have to use sneaker net basically to get information up to the ships now, which is fun. And it, it fits. I mean, we saw the tower come down, so it, it doesn't feel too convenient that there's an opportunity here for them to inject chopper into the situation. Uh, I really like this, this without getting too far ahead, like just, uh, yeah, just the infiltration and everybody just kind of using their wits and their skills and the fact that, you know, we've already established that Sabine can paint things like it just it, it feels like I don't know, it just feels like the team's a team and they have a shared cause here and everybody's just bringing their best to it. And even Chopper, who's normally cantankerous and just a, a bit of a, a jerk, uh, you know, he he knows when to kind of get serious and, and do the job. And <laughs> And again, without getting too far ahead, I just, I really like how the droid story comes to a conclusion where the, the other droid that you think is going to be like an evil droid because it's painted black, sort of like the evil BB unit in mm-hmm. last Jedi, this, this droid just seems like it's eager to please. So yeah. when it gets swapped out, uh, it, it just seems like it wants to be helpful and it's just going to serve whoever's in front of it <laughs> and chopper ain't having that. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, it made for a really fun moment at the end of this where choppers, you know, uh, murderous nature <laughs> kind of <laughs> surfaces a little bit. Um, so I like that, but obviously, you know, there's, there's more good stuff going on, uh, within this episode and really chopper is just the means of, of getting them the next bit of information they need to continue trying to track down Kanan. And of course, this this all puts uh, Hera on the right path, the path that that, right. that gets her on board with it. Because of course, she needed she needed a little bit of a push, and the push that she saw from, uh, you know, notably Ezra taking on this role of, you know, what mm-hmm. I don't care what you say, I'm going to chase my values, and this is one of them. And if I have to do it behind your back, I'm going to. And the fact that he's so successful with this causes her to, you know, acknowledge like, you know what? I was mad that you went behind my back, but um, I think I needed this and you did, sure. you did the right thing. And now we have a, we have a path. We're still not there yet, but we know where <laughs> we're going. Um, right. And I think that this, this reveal, there's so much to dive into in just the last 20 seconds of this episode. When finally you have, of course, Chopper getting this message and it is, Basically, that they are transporting Kanan to this planet called Mustafar, which no one in the galaxy really knows what it is. We, of course, know what it is from episode three. And the crew of the ghost is just a nice little, you know, quick narrative. Like, what is this place? And Hera says, I don't know exactly what it is, but Kanan always says that Mustafar is where Jedi go to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a dark place. It's, It's not where you want your friend to be shuffled off to. It's interesting, just to jump back to what you were touching on a minute ago. You can sympathize with Ezra's position of, I'm not letting my, my master, my father figure 
go without a fight. Like, obviously, you would expect nothing less. But you can also sympathize with Harris' position, which is he made a calculated decision because he wanted us to survive to win another day. And I would be disrespecting basically his leadership. You know, he, he basically implied what he wanted Hera and them to do when he said, I'm, I'm staying back. I'm going to get you guys clear. Like she feels that she would be disrespecting that if she were to put them in jeopardy, trying to track him down, which is in a way kind of an even like deeper reflection of, of kind of like love and camaraderie and mm-hmm. like her heart's in the right place too. But obviously we can't have it both ways. We're, we're either going to be the, the kind of troop that never leaves one of our own behind, or we're going to be the kind of troop that is diehard for the cause. And you needed kind of Ezra's passion there to soften her a bit. And that's again, just, just some good storytelling coming out of Lucasfilm here. And I just really enjoyed that they needed to kind of, sharpen each other iron sharpens iron in a way and and they opened up each other's eyes to really what the right move was whereas neither one of them had all the pieces they just both had their own perspective and they needed they needed to really challenge each other there to be at their best and that's just the kind of team building and character building that i love to see in these kind of fun um ensemble team kind of action adventure fair you you want to see that it's it it's become cliche because every marvel movie does that you know every every team chafes and rubs each other the wrong way and then they have to come together to win the day it's become so overused that when it's done really well and done in a subtle way and really organically serves the story i want to point it out because this is really competent and one thing that i love it's very clear that uh lucasfilm wanted to explore more of the kind of Mustafar and the message behind all these different mm-hmm. things um, to the point where, of course, if you've ever gone to the void and done, you know, this, uh, the, the, uh, the virtual reality Star Wars, um, you know, game, right. it takes place on Mustafar. Of course, the Vader Immortal takes place on Mustafar. And it's this kind of overall thing that this is a way of vader channeling all of this hate to the point where he's like you know what when we capture surviving jedi from order 66 we're gonna bring them to mustafar which is where anakin skywalker the jedi you know turned into lord vader as we know him where um it was very much uh just so symbolic and also shows this um the hate that is in anakin's heart at this time and um, we get to see a little bit more of that in Rebels. And it's one of those things where if we don't have Rebels, the series, we may never get something uh, like this. These just kind of mini explorations of some of these messages. So just for that, it, as a Star Wars nerd who loves all that stuff, <laughs> this has been a fun ride. Yeah, I, I've said it during our Mandalorian rewatch that as much as I will always enjoy going out to the theater for the really big saga event cinema experience of star wars star wars really thrives in tv because it's such a a big world with so many characters and so much opportunity for really rich storytelling that it's it's a little handicapped when you have to try and cram that into a a theatrical runtime or into a just a, a saga of three films or whatever it is that's too confining for star wars in some ways it's good for some kind of stories and and star wars can certainly thrive in the big screen you know or <laughs> in its heyday obviously it did but darn it all if if i don't have way more fun with what they're doing on tv right now 
And these last two episodes of Rebels are extremely fun that we Mm -hmm. get of the finale of season one. But while our listeners are waiting for our exciting review of those episodes, John, where can the people find you? Uh, as always, my other podcast, SNL After Party, find it on YouTube, find it in all your podcast apps of choice. We cover all new SNL. It's a good show. We really like it. We think you'll like it if you enjoy SNL and want to do a deep dive and you don't have any comedy nerd friends to be able to mull it over with. By all means, come join us. We have a fun, lively sketch by sketch review discussion after every new episode. SNL After Party. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes at our website at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe. You can find the TV Talk network at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always.